We're in Mark 13. (laughs) Oh, Lord. As Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Do you see all these great buildings? Jesus replied. Not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John and Andrew asked him privately, tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they're all about to be fulfilled? Let's just pause there a minute. I'm going to read the rest of the chapter in a few minutes, but this is kind of setting the context. Uh, and I just want to, to help you with it, because um, Mark... Chapter 13 is quite a difficult chapter. There's, there's quite a lot of stuff going on. There's lots of things that Jesus is teaching that are quite hard, quite difficult to get your head around. And um, Pat, kind of, he, he'd um, organized this, um, uh, this preaching series in Mark, and he's broken up all the chapters. And he got to Mark chapter 13. And he basically did what in sporting parlance is known as a hospital pass. And he invited me to speak on it. So I'm going to do that in just a minute. But can I help, just give one or two sort of route map things? Okay, so Jesus has um, entered into Jerusalem. We're now in the final week before the crucifixion here. But all these chapters, chapter 11 onwards in Mark, he's covering these, these few days leading up to Good Friday and the crucifixion. So that's on Jesus' mind. He knows he's gone to Jerusalem in order to go to the way of the cross. And uh, he's beginning to, to kind of teach the people and to just engage the people, including his followers. And here he is, verse 1 of chapter 13, as he was leaving the temple. And we heard last week, those of you who were here last week, amazing talk with Christine uh, about the ego of the disciples and how you know, they wanted to be in his right hand, his left hand. They wanted to be served, not to serve. And it's kind of still a little bit in them, even though he's uh, rebuked them in a sense there, not so with you last week, do you remember? And here they are, this temple that's been in construction. It's a building project for 46 years. And I don't know if you've ever been out to the Middle East and and seen all that remains now is the Temple Mount. But just that, the mount, the foundation, is extraordinary. Some of the stones, I'm not exaggerating, are about sort of half the size of that vestry area. They're massive. Just the engineering feat to create this magnificent building. No wonder the disciples go, wow. Look at this building, look at this splendor. And of course for them, the temple was the center of their known world. Because in the center of the center, the holy of holies, is where God is. God's presence resides. And, and that's where the priests on their behalf can inter, inter, sort of mediate between them and God. This is where they find ultimate connection. This building is sacred, it's special, it's immense. Wow, what what? Buildings, what massive stones. And Jesus says, yeah, it's going to be utterly flattened. It's going to be smashed. And they go, what? And so that's when they go across the valley onto the Mount of Olives. This, uh, this passage here is known as the Olivet Discourse, which sounds like a starter in a posh restaurant, but it's actually just the teaching that Jesus does on the Mount of Olives. And, and, and we've got uh, Peter, James, John and Andrew, verse 3, and they ask him privately, what, what? You're messing with our minds again, Jesus. 
We, we, we kind of thought the temple established there, then th- this is it. And once we finish the table and God is here, boom, boom, established. We, we're going to, you know, God's people once again, back in the land, back where they're promised to be, back at the center of God's plan and purposes. And you, we, we kind of had you down as kind of God's man, God's purpose, uh, God's, you know, Messiah, teacher. And you're saying it's being smashed, demolished? Help us with that. And here's what Jesus goes on to say. Um, I'll give you the, the kind of headings, if you like. He says, be warned. Be watchful. Because there's quite a lot of stuff that's going to kick off. But while I warn you of this, and while you need to be on your guard, while you're watchful, there's a kind of melodic line to all these episodes. And the melodic line to, the, to these crashing notes is be assured, don't, don't worry, don't panic. Amid all the things you need to look out for, be assured. And actually, be ready, be alert. So six times in what we're about to read, Jesus says, be on your guard or watch or be alert. So, so look out for them. See what it is that Jesus is saying to his disciples they need to be alert for, on their guard for. What is it they need to watch out for? And then we'll, we'll unpack it as we go through. So here we go. Deep breath. Verse 5. Jesus said to them, Watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name, claiming I am he, and will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in the various places and famines. These are the beginning of birth pangs. You must be on your guard. You'll be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. Whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given you at the time, for it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. Everyone will hate you because of me. But those who stand firm to the end will be saved. When you see the abomination that causes desolation standing where it does not belong, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down or enter the house to take anything out. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. Oh, how dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that this will not take place in winter because those will be days of distress unequaled from the beginning when God created the world until now and never to be equaled again. If the Lord had not cut short those days, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect whom he has chosen, he shortened them. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Messiah, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. So be on your guard. I have told you everything in advance. 
But in those days, following that distress, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. Now, learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that it is near, right at the door. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on your guard. Be alert. You do not know when that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with an assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight, or when the cock crows, or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone. Watch. Let's pray. Father, we confess these are kind of difficult sayings. This is a difficult passage. We don't easily resonate with it. And so we ask your spirit would help our minds to be alert, to engage with this food that you give us this evening. Help us, Lord, to feed on it. And that you would build up, encourage, warn, if necessary, challenge those parts of us that nowhere else would be warned or fed or challenged or encouraged. Lord, that you'd speak directly to us as individuals and as a body and as part of your worldwide church tonight. For Jesus' sake, amen. Amen. I'd love you to keep that open. Uh, Jesus with his disciples using the occasion of the temple since they raised it. Oh, what a lovely building. He says, yeah, well, uh, let me tell you what's going to happen. This temple isn't going to last long. And therefore, I, I want to give you warning. I, I want you to be watchful. And did you, did you sort of pick up over the, the, the reading there, did you pick up some of the things that Jesus is asking them, and by definition us, derivation us, what he's asking his followers to be watchful and alert about? The first thing, which is two, two topics, if you like, two headings, uh, and the first is kind of persecution, hardship, test, trial. And as for them back there then, so for us here now, those of us who purport to follow Jesus Christ, declare that we follow Jesus Christ in the way that we live, in the things that we say, in the priorities that we make, as we report back on what we did on Friday night or Sunday evening, as we don't duck those opportunities, but take them full on. As we, as we speak Jesus Christ, there will be trouble, persecution, misunderstanding, smearing, besmirching. There'll be test and trial. 
Jesus says, watch out for it. Be on your guard for it. Verse 7, it's uh, kind of on a national scale. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, don't be alarmed. Such things must happen. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginning of birth pains. Let me just stress here as a little aside, and it's just because I think the Bible translators are a bit unhelpful. See the, the, the heading in bold above chapter 13. It says, the destruction of the temple and signs of the end of times, of the end times. Um, and that's not in the original Bible. That's the editors have put that in to try and break up the passage because in the original Greek, it's all one text and that's quite hard to sort of follow. So all, these, all those bold little headings in italics are just the editors. And um, it's true, Jesus is talking about the destruction of the temple and the end of that age. But he's not talking about the end of the ages. He's not talking about the end times in general. This chapter is all, all the stuff he's talking about is around the destruction of the temple. So I mention that just because we've recently had news of an earthquake and, and what happens around the Christian world is titillations of, oh gosh, in Nepal, maybe it's the end of the world. And maybe it is, or maybe it isn't. You can't get that from scripture. You can't get that from this scripture because Jesus isn't talking about general end of the age. He's just talking about the end of this age, the end of the temple era, the era when they said, let's build a temple, 46 years, great big temple. And Jesus says it's coming to an end. And there are signs and things around that, not general. So it's a misleading heading, I would wager. So there will be national stuff going on, national hardship that we need to contend with. Then there will be personal stuff. You must be on your guard, verse 9. You will be handed over to the local councils, flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings to witness to them about Jesus. Won't be easy. Doubtless in some way, shape or form with a colleague or someone of influence at work, not necessarily your boss, just the kind of social ringleader, the kind of guy or girl that everyone wants to sort of be in with in the office floor. And uh, it's kind of popularity or Jesus. It's not an easy choice. So personally and professionally, and actually right down to the most intimate relationships. Look, verse 12. Brother will betray brother to death and the father his child. Children will rebel against their parents, nothing new there, and have them put to death. Ooh. That's the kind of stuff that will go on. Now actually, uh, we know from the histories of Josephus, I don't want to sort of jump ahead, but we know that actually at the sack of Jerusalem, AD 70, uh, and some of the social, some of the stuff that went on amid the sort of besieging, people getting starved, um, no water, no food, and desperate measures, desperate times, and some of this stuff actually took place. It actually happened. So Jesus warns his followers. Persecution. Interesting, isn't it? You notice uh, verse 13, everyone will hate you because of me, but those who stand firm to the end will be saved. There's a call here, Amid the, the trouble, the hardship, the testing, the trial, to stand, and those that stand will be saved. There's the kind of endurance. But what's interesting is he then goes on, I won't spend uh, detailed time on this, but verse 14, when you see, in inverted commas, the abomination that causes desolation, close inverted commas, and it's in inverted commas because that's a reference to the apocalyptic writing in Daniel, and uh, again, if you 
Keenies, you can look this up later, Daniel chapter 9, it's also in Daniel 11, and it follows the vision that Daniel has of, uh, if you like, a kind of antichrist figure, an anti-messianic figure, and uh, the abomination that causes desolation is thought to be uh, an imposition in the very epicenter of God's temple, the very epicenter of worship, an idol. And it's like, almost like a sort of a boulder in the stream of worship. And the uh, despotic ruler at the time will ban and stop all godly worship. And in its place, an idol, standing where it should not stand, as uh, Mark says here. So there's, there's kind of uh, disruption and uh, dissonance on a, on a kind of political and natural realm. And we stand firm. But it's interesting, when, when there's this spiritual uh, evil taking place, when there's this spiritual malevolence, look what he says in um, verse 14. When you see the abomination that causes desolation, this, this idolatry and the abolition of, of, we might say, godly worship, standing where it does not belong, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. That's interesting, isn't it? Quite a lot of stuff that's surprising in here. So, so sort of trouble, hardship, persecution, you stand. But when, but when God's name is ultimately kicked out, you run. You run. It's an interesting one, isn't it? We, we can sort of read this, yeah, yeah. academically, that's of some interest. But if you're in Syria as a Christian right now, or if you're in some African nations, Nigeria, or you're in Pakistan, or you're in Iraq, this is real. This is real right now, and we're part of a worldwide church. We sit in sort of cozy comfort here in SW6, in the Western world, but there are brothers and sisters in Christ, and this is real for them right now. This is happening. So be warned, Jesus says, be on your guard. And we, we kind of, we stand with them. We are on our guard with them. When we, when Pat kind of calls us to stand to pray, yeah, we stand to pray. We face out, not just to this community, but beyond. We stand with brothers and sisters who are undergoing this. We're guarded. We're watchful. We'll stand with them. And if necessary, when we need to run away, we'll run away. In order that we preserve the name of Jesus Christ. So be watchful over persecution and be watchful be on your guard did you notice against deception verse 5 watch out that no one deceives you many will come in my name claiming I am he and will deceive many or across at verse 21 at that time if anyone says to you look here's the Messiah or look there he is do not believe it for false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform signs and wonders to deceive if possible even the elect Don't get complacent. Be on your guard. Be alert. Be watchful. There are people out there who will, uh, things and movements and ideas and tantalizing, titillating things that will just stray us into heresy. It's, It's ever so easy to take a truth and to lift it out of all proportion to other truths or to recognize a truth and sideline it. And history is replete, particularly the history of the early church. I think it was in the first two or three centuries, by, by, yeah, by about sort of 400 AD, 
that they had identified eight significant and distinct heresies about Jesus Christ himself. Where, where there's truth all around that, often there is heresy. There's the, the, the drift into that which is not truly revealed by God. And we can easily be deceived. So be watchful. Be on your guard. And you say, well, Tim, this is it's quite heavy stuff. And you're sort of engaging in that. Well, where's that nice story in Mars? Sort of quite nice. Or strokes our kind of spiritual feathers. This is all a bit sort of, whew, a bit full on, a bit heavy. Where, where's, where's the assurance that you talked about with, with this sort of tough stuff? I thought you said there was a kind of melodic line of assurance. Where's that? And it's in two key verses that I'd encourage you to, to, to sort of dig out and hold on to in Mark chapter 13. The first one's in verse 31. Jesus is talking about you know, the temple, their known world, this, this amazing edifice representing, if you like, their worldview, their, the place where you... It was, a, it was a kind of marketplace as well as the worship centre. It was everything. And that's going to be destroyed. And he says, not only that, heaven and earth will pass away. Everything that you know, seen and unseen, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Jesus, who is the word. Jesus, who with God and the Spirit spoke creation into being. He is the eternal and incarnate word. And he and his words will never pass away. Heaven and earth, but not his words. My words will never pass away. You can hold on to his words as eternal and sure when everything else is shifting sands. He's the rock. He's the anchor. He's dependable, faithful, eternal and true. Everything else we can call into question. Jesus. Heaven and earth will pass away, he says. My words will never pass away. And here's the other thing you can hold on to by way of assurance, and it's linked with that. It's in verse 23. It's one of those be on your guard moments. And then he says, I've told you everything in advance. I have told you everything in advance. I've given you preparation. I've given you a heads up. That is what provides us with such deep assurance. Pertinent to uh, Joe and I at the moment is that it's exam time. It's exam season. We've got um, two children at home, 18 and 17. One of them doing A-levels, one of them doing AS levels. Um, and they're thick in it right now. And so the Stillwell household, is, it's a little bit tense uh, and a little bit sort of edgy and nervy <laughs> with all the kind of two years worth or one year, in one case, and two years worth of, of lessons and information and homework. It's like all crammed into the heads. But the nervy thing is this. It's not that they haven't done the learning and they haven't done the homework and they haven't been to the lessons. That's not the nervy thing. They've got, if you go into Emma, my daughter's room, she's got all her notes and revision guides and books all there on her desk. If you go into my son's room, he's got all his notes and revision guides and books some, somewhere. Uh, <laughs> just, it's all there. It's all there. The nervy thing is this. Will I get the question 
in the exam that will unlock all the knowledge that I've got. That's the nervy thing. And you, all of you have done exams, isn't it? You, do, you know you've got the knowledge. The issue is, will the flipping exam ask the right question? And if it doesn't ask the right question, or it asks the question that I am a little bit wobbly on, I'm stuffed. That's the nervy bit, isn't it? In fact, as I'm speaking, have you all, have you all slightly knotted up at the memory? And sorry, pastoral things, well, anyone going through exams right now? Oh, you look at oh, one or two, there we go. I'm sorry, mate, to bring it up, Phil. Sorry, bless you. If you, you have permission to leave, actually, if you, I've, got, I've got to go and revise. Imagine, just now we're into the realm of fancy. Imagine that I am the examining, the, the, the chief examiner. Imagine I have set the exams. Imagine I know what the questions are. Imagine, fanciful, but imagine that I go to Luke and Emma and I say, guys, this is what's coming up. I don't give them the answers, and that's far too easy. I don't need to. I don't need to. I just give them the questions. I prepare them. They then, they go away. They know what's coming up. I mean, how would you feel if you could walk into an exam where you knew in advance what the questions were? I mean, look what that does. I'll revise now. Because I know I'm not wasting my time. I'm not playing a sort of lottery on, on, on what to revise. I know what to revise. Of course I'll revise. Yeah, I'll revise because I know what's coming up. Walk into that exam. I'll show you, Mr. Examiner. Give me the question. Oh, A star. Thank you very much. Because I know. I've been told in advance. In the examination of life, Jesus says to his followers, and he says to us, Verse 23, hold on to these words, because heaven and earth will pass away. These words will last, will stand. I've told you everything in advance. Test and trial at work, difficulty, deception, don't know what to believe, all sorts of swirling ideologies and thoughts. Which way should I go? What should I think? Jesus, I've told you in advance. My words will not pass away. You can be prepared. And in being prepared, you've got something with which you can watch and be on your guard and alert. And that should give us assurance. I'm not saying we'll avoid the tests and trials. They'll come our way. But we can have assurance that we can pass through them. We can stand firm. You say, but Tim, how can I trust that this is true? How can I trust Jesus at his word? And actually, effectively, that's what the disciples were asking. Well, they said, you know, what's uh, verse 4? Tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they're all about to be fulfilled? All very, all very well, Jesus, you making this claim. So in the back of their mind, I, I guess they're thinking, 46 years to construct this, this extraordinary building, and it's just going to get flattened. How... How do, you know, how do we know we can trust you, Jesus? And actually, it's the fall of the temple. It's the very fact that the temple fell that for us, not so much for them, we've got hindsight history on our side. We can look back, and it's the very fact that the temple fell that vindicates Jesus. Remember, this isn't about the end of the age in general. This is about the temple, chapter 13. 
And we know that what Jesus predicted about the temple came true. The fall of the temple vindicates Jesus as prophet. And it also vindicates him as Messiah. I tell you what, if, uh, just, just turn on a few pages to John chapter 2, page 1006. Or it might even, sorry, I should have said to the guys at the back, if, can you rustle that up on the screen? John chapter 2 and verse 18. This is John's account of uh, Jesus clearing the temple courts. And then it goes on. The Jews responded to him, what sign, there it is again, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? And Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, it's taken 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it in three days. And then John adds sort of editorially, but the temple he has spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he'd said, and then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. When Jesus speaks to his disciples, recorded in Mark, Mark doesn't give us that sort of editorial hindsight. And so he says the temple's going to be destroyed. And the Spirit enables the disciples, and history helps us now, along with the Spirit, to enable us to see that Jesus isn't talking just about the bricks and stone, although that came to pass. Uh, you, you read it up in Josephus, it's quite a graphic account. AD 69 was a bad year in the Middle East and in uh, Jerusalem in particular. They had four emperors in a year. Nero was dispo- deposed. And then uh, there was another one, then another one, and then at the end of the year, Vespasian. And each of them was overthrown with ever-increasing sort of bloodshed and coup. It was horrific. The streets must have run with blood. And Vespasian was so despotic, it was his son who sacked Jerusalem and began the the destruction of the temple. It all came to pass. With all the horror, as I mentioned earlier, the the besieging and the sort of infighting, the uh, people killing one another, squabbling, all that kind of stuff, and and just, you know, in-house murdering. Horrific, terrifying scenes. Jesus had forewarned them. He predicted it all. Vindicated as prophet. And as John helps us to see, vindicated as Messiah. Because Jesus, he, he acted it out. He lived it out. He became the temple, as it were. And of course, we know that he did. But it's worth being refreshed with this. That the temple was the place you went to to encounter God. With the priest mediating on your behalf. And Jesus says, in effect, that system of having to go to a place and rely on a priest to mediate on behalf of you, that system is going to be demolished, just as the bricks and stone is going to be demolished. There is a brand new way of coming into God's presence. You don't go to a place. You come to a person. Come to me, Jesus said, all who are hungry and thirsty, and I will give you bread, I will give you water. Come to me. Worship, not looking. We don't. We must get out of the habit of going to church. We are church. We just happen to gather here because this is a convenient space. We could be church on the green. You are church tomorrow at your workstation. It's also your worship station. In your home, in your community, you are church in twos and threes when you meet together to pray, to be accountable to one another. In the life groups, in all the things when we the uh, night shelter, feeding those who would otherwise be homeless on the streets. We're being church. We're bringing Jesus. We are Jesus in that place to those people. 
And Jesus signals that. He's saying, I'm smashing the old system. And in three days, the temple, inverted commas, will be raised, i.e. I will be raised. Brand new way of being on earth with God for God. How good is that? How can I trust Jesus when he says that heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away? I've told you everything in advance. How can I trust Jesus? Well, because he's proved himself trustworthy. What he said came true. And we now understand with the Spirit's revelation that he wasn't talking about a building. Well, he, he was. But through the building, that's like the shadow of the reality. He is the reality. He was destroyed and three days later raised again so that we can know him today. He's here now. The Lord is here. His spirit is with us. Anglicans in that row there, perfect one. (laughs) So what do we, as we come into land here and come into communion, whoops, and to feed on him who is trustworthy and true, whose words can be held forever as an assurance in tough times and testing times. Well, just as we come to communion, I want to encourage you as you take a little wafer, dip it into the wine, you put it into your mouth and it will, it will just catalyze your taste buds and something will sort of come alive even if it's just in your sort of mouth and digestive system something will enliven and just as with every communion I encourage you to extrapolate that into the whole of your life just as physically you are there's a little sort of whatever you're not particularly nourished by a little wafer and wine but it will change you you will be aware of change even if it's just a taste sensation I invite you to be aware of so much greater change Utter transformation is yours in Jesus Christ. What is it that is uh, battling against you? What is it that you are confronting? Where are you engaged with test or trial? Then allow the one who was demolished and raised again to demolish that and be raised again in your life. And maybe as we stand in the relative comfort and privilege of uh, our Christian faith expression in the Western world. Let's stand with brothers and sisters for whom this apocalyptic language is not fanciful or removed, it's real. We stand with brothers and sisters who tonight will face whipping and bullying and even death. I love that uh, I was listening to a speaker the other day talking about these times as a Christian. He said, you know, as the early Christians were carted off to, to be before the lions and martyred, they, you, know, you, you may be able to uh, take away my possessions, you may be able to take away my family, you may take away my house, you may take away everything, you can even take away my life, but in Jesus Christ you can't harm me. You can hurt me, but you can't harm me. You can kill me, but you can't harm me if I am rooted in Christ. And that amazing thought, it's a truth. And Jesus... I've told you everything in advance. They may come to hurt you. They cannot harm you. Heaven and earth pass away. My words will never pass away. He has the words of eternal life. We, we, in a sense, we eat that truth now. It goes inside us. It does its work. 
And finally, to be alert, to be ready. Verse 32 to the end, about the day or the hour. No one knows, not the angels in heaven, not even the sun. Jesus doesn't know. It yet. Kind of relatively fruitless exercise to look at the newspapers and sort of study the maps and think, oh, I wonder when the end of the age will come. We don't know. The sun doesn't know. What does he tell us? What does the sun tell us to do? Don't speculate. He says, be ready for when he does come. He could come tomorrow. He could come tomorrow. Gosh, that was, wouldn't that solve a whole lot of problems if he came tomorrow? Whew. <laughs> and if he comes, verse 36, suddenly, then do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. Be alert. Be ready. Let's stand together. In a moment, I'm just going to hand over to Pat. We're going to celebrate communion together to remember Jesus and to remember ourselves in union with him. But just a moment for this kind of testing piece of scripture to sit in us. Just a moment for the spirit to speak to us afresh. Maybe new things or old things renewed in us. For some of us, barely clinging on, Jesus knows. He wants you to know that assurance. His word, the word of life. As you clutch something as, as sort of fragile as a little wafer, but that, that is life represented there eat it digest it it lives in you he lives in you his word his assurance I've told you everything in advance he'll prepare you for tomorrow and the rest of this week and the rest of this month and this year as you receive